Well, welcome today. So glad to have you. If you're new, if this is your first time here, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just uh, really glad that you are uh, joining us today. Uh, we've been on a series, uh, a sermon series, talking about sin in the first three chapters of Romans. But today we're going to pause in that series because today is uh, our annual general meeting right after the service today. And so today we, uh, as we have over the last number of years, we stop to talk about and to think about and to celebrate what God has done in our church over this past year and where we sense him leading as we uh, go forward to this next year. And as we think about this past year, God has been so good to us as a church. I mean, we have just seen God's grace in a million different ways, uh, in, the, in the unity that we've experienced as, the church, as a church, in the growth that we've been having, in the generosity of so many of you as you have, as you have served and given and prayed and walked together in community. And we've seen God open up all kinds of opportunities for us to share the gospel and to disciple people and to uh, serve and to love our city. And, and best of all, best of all, we've seen all kinds of people explore faith in Jesus and, and others who said, yes, I'm going to give my life to follow after him. And many others who say, and I'm going to go deeper in my walk with Jesus. And so this year, this past year has just been God's good grace to us as a church as we followed after him. You know, the vision of our church is that our city would know Jesus. And God has put us in this place, in, in the heart of Maple Ridge and in Pitt Meadows area and in the surrounding areas. And he's given us all kinds of opportunities and relationships and tools to do that very thing. To let our city know about Jesus and so that we can serve our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers because of what Jesus has done for us. And again, as we look back over this past year, this has opened up all sorts of opportunities and continues to open up our opportunities for us to share about the hope and the life and the goodness of God in our lives through Jesus Christ. And this vision, that our city would know Jesus, this is not a new vision for our church. You know, if you know the history of this church, this church was started about 110 years ago in July of 1912. And on, uh, on a July 7th of 1912, actually, a number of families from around here got together and they'd said, we want to raise our children in a, in a church where they hear about the good news of a God who not only created them, but who loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them. And so that's what they did. On that day, they gathered together. And one of the songs that they sang was a Fanny Crosby hymn. She's a famous hymn writer from that day. And the, and the key line in that song was this, to the work, to the work. In other words, this church was founded on the very first day when it began. They began saying, we have a mission. We have a work to do. It's the mission that Jesus gave his church to make disciples of all nations. And this church, from the day it's founded to this day, has been committed to making disciples, not only in this beautiful nation that we live in, but in nations around the world. And so if you, if you go to the first full year that this church was in operation, 1913, and you look at the budget for the year, the budget for the entire year, like from January to December, the entire budget for that year, 1913, $71.45. And the expenses for that year, $65.05. It's a long, a long way from the budget that we're going to present uh, after the service today, uh, which is, I think, $1.7 million. But in that day, in that day, 
In the budget, you, when you go back and look, 10% of the budget was earmarked, was, was devoted to mission, to seeing the message of the gospel go forward into the world around us. And if you read the history of our church from that day until this, uh, you will see that missions has always been important to this church, both locally and globally. And so today I want to talk to you about the mission that God has for us as a church. And then I want to introduce you to another mission opportunity that we have as a church. You know, over the past number of weeks, we have been talking about the gospel. Uh, this ex exceedingly good news of Jesus Christ. And if you were to ask most Christians, what is the message of the gospel? They would say that it is the message that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we might be made right with God and be able to spend eternity with him. And if they told you that, they would be dead right. That's absolutely what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. But it's not all that the gospel is. Well, there is not nothing less than that. The gospel is actually much more than just Jesus coming to save us from our sins so we can spend an eternity with him. There's this story in the, in the account of uh, Jesus' life that Luke writes about Jesus where he goes into this synagogue. It's the synagogue in his hometown. He goes there every Saturday as a good Jewish person would. And every Saturday they would open the scroll, the, the, the Old Testament text, and read from it and then have a discussion. And Luke tells us that on a particular Saturday, Jesus went to the synagogue and it was his turn. And so the attendant brought him the scroll and he stood up and he unrolled that, that scroll. He kept unrolling and rolling until he came to the great prophet Isaiah. And there he scrolled through most of that till he came to what we now know is, uh, know is Isaiah chapter 61. And then he began to read and this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke says that when Jesus was done reading that, he rolled that scroll back up. He gave it to the attendant. And then he went and sat in his seat. And Luke says, the eyes of everyone in that synagogue were laser focused on Jesus to see what he was going to say next. And this is what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I wonder what it must have been like to sit in that synagogue on that day. I wonder if a, if a, if a shiver would have gone down people's spines as they realized the implication of what Jesus was saying in that moment. Because you see, he came, we know that he came to die for our sins on the cross so we could be right with God. But on this day, he said, but he came to do more. He came to establish a kingdom, what he would call the kingdom of God. He came and it was a kingdom that would be about justice and peace and righteousness. A kingdom that would bring healing and new life to feeble hands and to shaky knees and to fearful hearts and to the blind, and the deaf, and the lame, and the mute, and the brokenhearted, and those who were enslaved to others, and those who were enslaved to sin. And what Jesus was declaring on that day was that he, not, he came not only to save our souls so that we could spend eternity with God, but more than that, he came to restore God's creation back to the way that it was always intended to be. 
He came to invite everyone who wants to experience the joy and the beauty and the, and the peace and the fullness of life that comes from living life the way that God always intended it to be lived. In essence, what he was saying is that he came to fix everything that sin had ruined. That was Jesus' mission. That's why he came. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing a number of years later to the church in Colossae, he writes this about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You understand what Paul's saying here? He's saying that Jesus was the creator of everything. All that we know, Jesus created. And he's the sustainer of it all. All of creation holds together and exists because Jesus upholds it, upholds it and holds it. But he says more than that, the third thing that he says is that Jesus has come to reconcile it, to return it back to the way that it was always meant to be, to bring it again under the rule and the reign and the authority of God and Jesus Christ. In, in, in other words, Jesus comes not only to, to bring salvation to us, but he comes to restore creation back to the way that God always intended it to be. He comes to fix what sin has ruined. This is why every Christmas when we sing Joy to the World, there's this, this famous line that we always sort of lodges in our heart. It says, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. In other words, everywhere that the curse of sin is found, the cosmic curse of sin that is, brings death and decay and, and destruction to every nook and cranny of this universe, Jesus has come to restore and to renew. In fact, if you keep Reading through the Gospel of Luke, that's what Jesus begins to do. Not only does he proclaim the good news of God's work in the world, but he begins to heal the blind and restore uh, the lame and the mute, and he casts out demons, and, and he is restoring all of creation to the way that is meant to be. And a couple of chapters later, uh, in chapter 7, uh, we come to this story about John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin who had prepared the way for Jesus, had said, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the one. But now John the Baptist is in prison. And now he's beginning to have some doubts about whether Jesus was the one, whether he was the right guy. And so he sends some of his disciples to see Jesus and say to him, are you the one or are you the Messiah? And it's fascinating to look at Jesus' response. His response, I mean, he could have said, tell John, I'm the son of David. I mean, the lineage goes back. I am the one who's in the line of David. Or he could have said, well, tell John how, how my, my life has fulfilled all these prophecies. I was born in the, the city of Bethlehem as the prophets foretold and, and all of these things that would show that I'm the one. Or he could have said, tell John about the crowds that listen to me and, and, the, and the teachings that are transforming people's lives. Or he could have simply said, remind John of when he baptized me. How when, we, when I came up out of the water, the, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended upon me and, and God himself said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I mean, tell him that. But he doesn't. Here's what he tells John's disciples to tell him. 
Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, Jesus says to John, don't panic. You got the right guy. Because not only am I the one who is sharing the good news of of what God is doing in the world, but I am also displaying what God wants to do to restore and to renew and, and to redeem that which has been broken from sin. And if you read the rest of Jesus' life and ministry, it's what he does throughout all of it. Because this is his mission. Which means this, that if we're followers of Jesus, therefore it now is our mission. That, that, that Jesus now carries on the same mission through us, through his church, through what the Bible calls his body. We are to tell the world about the opportunity, the, the great privilege to be reconciled with God through Jesus' death and resurrection. But we're also called to be involved in restoring and renewing and, and healing that which is broken by sin and death and decay. And so, therefore, not only do we share the good news of the gospel, but we find and love and care for people and for the needs of the poor and the sick and the lonely and the brokenhearted because we're following in the steps, footsteps of our Savior. And this, this part of the gospel is also so important to God. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, he wanted Israel, his people Israel, to do this very thing. If you're reading through the Bible in a year with us, you know that we've been reading through the Old Testament laws and the commandments. And there are all kinds of laws and all kinds of commandments, but mixed uh, very regularly within that is the call to care for the poor and the needy and the, and the, the, the refugee and all of those kinds of things. But if you continue to read the, the history of the people of Israel, they did not fulfill God's commands in this area. So that by the time that the prophet Isaiah is on the scene, God speaks through the prophet. Here's what he says to the prophet Isaiah. He says, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They say, God, we're doing all the right things. Here we are. And yet you're not responding. You're not, you're not doing what we're... Where are you, God? What's going on? And now God's going to answer. And here's what he says. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for borrowing one, bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. 
If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Why is God not answering their prayers? Why does he seem so distant to them? Why is their world a mess? It's not because they aren't going to church regularly. It's not, it's not because they aren't worshiping God. It's not because they aren't praying and fasting. No, no, why is God not responding to the, the cries of their heart and the needs in their life? He says, because they're not caring for the poor. They're not clothing the naked. They're not loosing the chains of injustice. They're not spending themselves on behalf of the hungry. See, God is so serious about this stuff. People sometimes say, you know, if there's a good and a loving God, why doesn't he do something about the poverty and the hunger and the injustice in the world? And the answer is, he is. He is calling his people to be his hands and his feet, the body of Jesus to carry on his mission in that very regard. As a theme in the Old Testament, and the same theme runs through the New Testament. Again, if you read just a little further into the book of Luke, in Luke 9, and again in Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples, and he says, proclaim the good news, the gospel, and heal the sick. Words and deeds. And, and you can see it all over the New Testament. Time and time again, this theme runs through it, until you come to right near the end of the New Testament where the Apostle John writes this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Talk for sure. But the demonstration of our love is in our actions. He says, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can God's love be in that person? The early church took this fully to, to heart. The sociologist Rodney Stark has studied the, the actions of the early church and said that this willingness to put their love into action was one of the primary reasons for the explosive growth of the early church. You see, the cities in the Roman Empire in that day were infamous for poor sanitation, contaminated water, open sewers, you know, filthy streets, rampant crime, collapsing buildings, and all kinds of diseases and plagues. Do you know that the average lifespan of somebody living in one of those Roman cities in that day was 30 years old? In other words, if you were 32 years old, you were an old man or an old woman. If you were in your 20s, you were in midlife. I mean, it was not an easy place to live. And the death was so constant that if it weren't for the influx of all kinds of new people into the cities, they would literally collapse from the amount of death that was happening it's a terrible place to live. And yet rather than fleeing these kinds of urban problems, the church stayed right there, right in the middle of the city, right in the middle where all of this kind of stuff was going on. And the results of them living for Jesus in that kind of a place was profound. Rodney Stark writes this. 
Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violence and ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. You see, the Christians in the early church, they loved people, not just with words, but with their actions. Costly, long-term, beautiful actions that not only changed the lives of individuals, but it affected entire cities and ultimately an empire. See, this is the calling that Jesus has for the church. It's the calling that Jesus has for our church. And as we're faithful to it, the kingdom of God grows in all kinds of ways. In the days of the early church, it grew explosively. And in fact, it continues to grow explosively in our day. In fact, on a global scale, the statistics are staggering. Over the past 10 plus years or so, over 300 million people have given their life to follow Jesus. Not, not just because they were born to be a Christian, but because they said, I want to follow Jesus. And, and as best that they can tell, about 10 million of those people were in North America and Europe, and 290 million of them were in places like Africa and Asia and, and Latin America, in places like Nigeria and Brazil and India and China. In fact, the growth of, the, of Christianity around the world is astounding. In the year 1800, in the year 1800, 99% of those who were followers of Jesus lived in places like Europe and North America, and only 1% in places like Asia and Africa and uh, Latin America. By the year 1985, the statistics were about 50-50. And by 2010, 31% of, of Christians lived in Europe and, and North America, and 69% in the rest of the world. And by 2025, two years from now, those who study the, 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 the growth of the Christian world say that the center of Christianity will shift from North America and Europe to Africa. And the evidence of the growth of the Christian faith is everywhere. For instance, in Havana, Cuba, the capital city of Cuba, which has been under communist rule for decades and decades, there are two million people. And on any given Sunday, about 20% of those two million people go to church. And in China, the church is, is growing rapidly. The estimates are anywhere from 80 to 120 million Christians in China. And that number continues to just grow and grow and grow. A number of weeks ago, BBC World News, which is no lover of the Christian faith, reported that one of the fastest growing Christian communities in the world is in the country of Nepal, the, the birthplace of Buddha, and a place where it is illegal to convert from one faith to another. And they report that in 1951, in 1951, there was no known Christians in the nation of Nepal. And by 1961, there was only 458 Christians there. But by the year 2011, there were 376,000. And the late last census shows that there are now over half a million Christians. And it's growing rapidly. Thousands of churches planted all over that countryside. Kingdom of God is growing. 
And God is on the move. And he's calling his church, his people to go. And by God's grace, we've been answering that call. In the year 1980, there was uh, 1,800 known evangelical missions agencies sending out 70,000 missionaries around the world. Today, there are over 4,000 evangelical mission agencies that are sending 250,000 missionaries around the world. And the church in Korea, the church in Korea alone intends to send out 100,000 missionaries in the next 20 years. And the church in China Imagine that in China and the church in the Philippines has similar plans. The message of the gospel is going out around the world and it is transforming individuals and and cities and entire nations. And we're part of that. And we want to continue to be part of what Jesus calls us to do. And so that's why we look to do that in our own way, both locally and globally. Locally, we're involved in a number of different ministries. One of them is The Hub. It's a partnership with the city of Maple Ridge and with Alouette Addictions and with a number of other uh, community organizations to care for and to love the homeless in our city. Then the last, uh, last fall, we also did what we called Be Ridge, which was a, an opportunity for us as a church to serve a specific need. And last fall, we collected all kinds of furniture uh, to give to refugees from the war in Ukraine who came to this country, left everything they had and had nothing. And we, uh, we as a church, I mean, we just generously gave to help the needs of those who are refugees. Then along the same lines, uh, we continue to be involved in refugee sponsorship. Uh, Last week, we announced that Salal uh, had come from Turkey, originally from war-torn Syria, and we've sponsored him. And and the rest of their family is coming soon, and so we want to continue to prepare for them as well. We're partnering with Youth Unlimited to serve pancake breakfast once a week at Thomas Haney to students who... Uh, may otherwise come to school hungry for the day. And it's just a way to serve and to love uh, part of the the people in our city as well. And then Celebrate Recovery. This is a a beautiful ministry to those who are struggling with addictions. Uh, The primary place where it is is over at Highway Church. It's a beautiful church, a great church, just a couple of blocks down the street from us. But we also are hosting part of that ministry here in our church as we meet the needs, again, of people in our community. And of course, there are all kinds of other missions and ministries that all kinds of you are involved in that aren't some of these that I've listed. And God is using us to serve and to love our city and to see God restore and renew and along the way to share the hope and the goodness of what God has done through us, for us through Jesus. It's what Jesus calls us to. It's our mission. It's our work. But then we're also involved in global missions. Operation Christmas Child, uh, every fall we gather all kinds of shoe boxes and we fill them with gifts that are given to churches uh, around the globe to distribute to, to children in need and open up a door for the sharing of the gospel. Casa Ogar is a children's home in Honduras that we partner with through our Baptist denomination, the fellowship, and we sponsor and, and, and contribute to the needs there to share the love of Jesus with those children Latvia is a camp in the box that we've been involved with. Uh, there's also Casa Composiva, which is a birthing clinic in Mexico uh, that was uh, started and run for many years by Ellie and Lila Casada, uh, who are here today, by the way. And, uh, and today we want to introduce to you another partnership, a new partnership with an organization called Impact uh, in the country of Guatemala. 
Impact started, was started by this beautiful couple, uh, Les and uh, Rita Peters, who were working in Christian education up in Kamloops. Uh, when 20 years ago, God called them to leave that. And so they did. They, they left everything. They packed uh, everything they had in a little Windstar minivan, uh, took their three youngest kids, drove all the way through B.C., all the way uh, across the United States, all the way through Mexico, 6,000 kilometers until they arrived in the country of Guatemala at a place, a region called Tatik in Guatemala. Guatemala is just below Mexico, and the region where they landed is in the high mountains of central Guatemala. It's a very poor region. Uh, the, uh, mo most people live on just a few dollars a day. Um, the men primarily work uh, as uh, farm laborers or in the, with the, as dairy, in the dairy work or cutting and selling firework, firewood. Um, and the families are large, but often they only have one parent. And uh, there's a great deal of illiteracy in that region. In fact, the adults are, are uh, illiterate, and so they don't appreciate the value of education. And, and so often their children don't even get the chance to finish elementary school before they take them out because they need them to help, you know, uh, earn money for their families. So it's a very poor region. And on top of that, the, the, the local religion is a combination of Mayan tradition and Roman Catholicism and witchcraft all sort of twisted together into this religion that, that keeps them in bondage and fear. And so when Les and Rita arrived, they began their ministry with one school with 78 students in it. And their goal was to bring the message of the gospel, the whole message, the message of a God who, who loved them so much that he sent his son to die that they might be reconciled with him but also a message that God had come to restore and renew and, and return things to the way that he always intended them to be. And so over the past 20 years, God has done a brilliant and beautiful work through the ministry of impact. In fact, uh, today impact has grown to 10 different school programs with over 1,700 students in those programs they also have a nutrition program, a medical clinic, an agricultural program, as well as a number of vibrant churches that have uh, taken root and growing, and a children's home uh, for orphaned and abandoned children. And throughout, their, their passion has been to raise up from their students local leaders who get involved deeply in leading, not only in their ministries, but in their, in their community. Um, so, for example, there's a picture here that I, that I want to show you. This is the staff at one of the schools there, and 40 of those staff are former students who came through and have come to faith in Jesus and have been trained and now are turning and in, investing in the next generation of children in that place. And it is a beautiful picture. And not just teachers, principals and staff in their children's homes and pastors leading in their churches and leaders in the ministries in all kinds of areas. It's just beautiful what God is doing. The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is growing in that place. And, and those who've been trapped in a cycle of poverty and illiteracy are being set free. And those who are sick are getting medical help and being healed. And those who face constant hunger are learning better farming techniques and churches are growing, and people are finding new life in Jesus Christ, and whole communities are being impacted by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. It's the gospel in action. It's the love of Christians poured out through how they live their lives. 
And we as a church now have a number of opportunities to participate and to partner along with them. And there's this short video I just want to show you, just give you a little taste of what's going on at Impact. Here it is. Here's the invitation. Three opportunities to partner. Number one, pray. I think the best way to do that to pray for the ministry of impact is simply to, uh, you know, you have Instagram, uh, go and begin to follow their account. And every time a picture from their account shows up on your feed, just stop and pray. Pray for whoever's in the picture or pray for the teachers or pray for the, the students or pray for the leaders there. Just, and just as it regularly comes up, say, yeah, God, would you please? God, work in that place. God, provide for their needs. And if you're not an Instagram person, then go to their website and, and uh, sign up for their newsletter and just pray regularly for what God is doing there. It's the first way. The second way is to give. One of the ways that we can support the ministry there is to sponsor a child. You know, the average North American, you and I, we live on about $90 a day. And the people in that part of Guatemala live on two or three dollars a day, just a few dollars a day. And so one of the ways to love, to put the love of Christ in action is to simply sponsor a child. Now, I just want to say, if you do that, I mean, do, do it not out of guilt. Just do it because of what God has called you, this, this passion he's put in your heart. And, um, and if you want to do that, go in the lobby after the service and just talk to them there and, and you'll be able to uh, begin to sponsor a child. And then thirdly, go. The invitation is for teams from North America, teams from a church like ours to come and to partner alongside what God is already doing there among the leaders in that community. It's a beautiful way for us to learn and to grow and to support and to strengthen the ministry that is already happening in a place like that. So we're going to send a small team down there. Uh, primarily from our missions uh, committee or from our missions team to go and serve there in April. But then we want to send a larger team and we're inviting you, whatever your age or stage of life, whatever your skill set, if you say, you know, I think I'd like to go and to serve and to learn and to come alongside and, and to care for those people, the people in, that, in, in Guatemala, you should sign up. And the way to do that is to go to our website uh, to check out their website and find out more about what's going on. Then come to our website and just hear uh, what the opportunities are. And, and it is a process. You don't just sign on the dotted line and get to go, uh, but, but say, hey, I want to know more. And someone from the church will contact you and, and begin that process of discerning. Like, is this a good fit? And, and, and is it something that God is preparing for you for this, for late this August when we're going to send that team we're excited about this kind of partnership. It's a great opportunity for us to, again, participate in the mission that Jesus calls us to as a church. And not just this partnership, for all the partnerships that we have. Not everyone is called to Guatemala. And not everyone is called to serve in the hub. And not everyone is, you know, designed to get up early and make pancakes at Thomas Haney. But each of us is called to play a part in the mission that God has given us. And the question is, is what is that for you? Where is God calling you to join in his mission? To share not only the message of what Jesus did on the cross, but also to be involved in restoring and renewing the world and our city and the people that we know with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you, would you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, we, we come to you today. God, we thank you for the 
the good news of the gospel in our own lives. God, for what you've done for us because of Jesus, how you've re restored our relationship with you, but also how you brought new life and new hope. And, and God, we thank you that, that you want to do that for so many for all who would receive it. And, and God, we want to be part of that mission. We want to be faithful to the call that you have on our lives for, for what you expect of us as your followers. And God, for each of us, that's different. But, but for each of us, God, there is an expectation that we do the part that we're called to. And so God, on this day, would you meet us? God, would you open our eyes to see God, where we're already doing it, would you strengthen us and encourage us? God, would you bring others to partner alongside with us? God, for the sake of what you want to do in this world, for the sake of the mission that you've given us through Jesus, for the sake of so many lives that you love so deeply. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming and joining with us today. I hope that you've been encouraged and strengthened. God is at work. The gospel is going forward. Lives are being changed, and we're called to be part of it. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples just before he ascends to heaven. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.